Welcome to the Daughter with Daddy Issues podcast. Here we get raw, real, and vulnerable. We bring the heart, the mind, the body, and the soul together as we explore the complexities and nuances of the father-daughter relationship. I'm your host, Sirzana, and I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Follow and subscribe for insightful conversations where we share the spice, the sugar, and the salt, where we share lessons, a lot of laughter, some heartbreaks, and everything in between, where healing and learning becomes a collective experience. This is the Daughter with Daddy Issues podcast for the daughters and their fathers, because your story matters. Our story matters. Okay, welcome to episode five, everybody. Personally, today is also very special for me because it has been exactly a month since I dropped my first episode of the Daughter with Daddy Issues podcast. To all of my listeners, thank you for being here so far. And I'm so excited to continue this journey with you all. I am recording this episode today, which is 21st, February 2024, but I will probably be releasing this episode tomorrow because a lot of work and editing goes behind it before I put it up online. All right. So a couple days ago, I was visiting one of my best friends for the family day weekend here in Toronto. I have known her since grade three. My friend and her husband immigrated to Canada a couple of years ago, and I am just so grateful to have a childhood friend here in Canada with me. Since you all know, I came here myself when I was 18. So she has been married for six years, and this was the very first time that I got to know the story of how they met. So I was asking her husband, how did he fall in love with my friend? And I was asking her questions as well. And at one point, I was asking her husband, what kind of woman was he looking for before he met my friend? And I specifically asked him if he would have been open to someone whose parents were divorced or, as they mention in brown communities, someone who comes from, quote unquote, a broken family. This was not the first time that I had a conversation like this with anybody. And usually I would get defensive. And this was the very first time that I was not defensive. So I want to pat my back (laughs) and celebrate that I was not defensive. Instead, I was curious. I was curious and genuinely I wanted to understand why. And I genuinely wanted to understand that there might be, there, there probably is a very solid and valid reason to not want to marry a woman who, whose parents divorced or who had a very difficult childhood. So I asked him why, and he said literally what I just said. He said that a lot of the times when people go through such traumatic childhoods, it can affect them in their adult life and adult relationships. And there was no way that I could argue with that. Not anymore. As I'm exploring all the ways I had shown up in the past, whether it was in my relationships or even my marriages, when I would be very emotionally dysregulated and my inner child or my inner angry teen would get into the driver's seat. I also showed up with lack of clarity on what I wanted and how I wanted to be treated and not just stating how I wanted to be treated, but standing by it like a grounded, composed adult. 
I showed up with a lack of boundaries, putting up with negative behavior, and also behaving negatively after being triggered. And it was never malicious. It was it was never malicious. It was just rather emotional dysregulation. And I don't say that to make excuses for the times that I may have hurt someone when I was emotionally dysregulated, but rather I want to understand it and then explain it and then heal it. So it's not that the trigger is a problem, but it's how we deal with it. And this may be some of the things that we can do. Number one, actively working to reduce our triggers and consciously and calmly and sincerely communicating with our loved ones what might trigger us. But be careful, though, because many people use the word trigger and draw certain boundaries, not necessarily for self-preservation, but to use it as a control mechanism. Number two, looking at our triggers in an objective way, not shaming it, not judging it, definitely not judging it, but having the wisdom that the trigger is a sign that there are still some wounds that deserve some attention that need to be healed, and then doing that work to heal those wounds. Number three, even if we do get triggered, creating greater emotional capacity and our window of tolerance to maintain our emotional regulation during that trigger. And there are many ways to do that in a healthy, effective and kind way. And something that I've been looking into quite a lot and which suggests other people is DBT. So D for dog, B for ball, T for Tom, uh, DBT therapy. But obviously, we are all human, and we may not be able to maintain our composure during a freaking trigger that can feel like a whole crisis at times. But learning how to do that at least half of the time to maintain ourselves, to maintain our emotional dysregulation, and even if we are getting dysregulated, taking a break, taking a time out, um, not self-abandoning during that, we can learn how to do that at least 60% of the time, and then 70% of the time, and then maybe 80% of the time, and very soon it really becomes who we are most of the time. We start to embody it. And number four, if you are someone, because I have been that someone, I'm still that someone to some extent, who struggled with getting triggered and then acted out in ways, lashed out, and then felt terribly guilty and awful about it, then I am sure that you know how painful it is to go through that. So when our loved ones, our friends, our family, our partners are in that triggered state, we can learn to have more compassion towards them. And we can learn to help them co-regulate themselves. So after listening to the reasoning that my best friend's husband gave about why he was not open to women who came from divorced families, I realized that, you know, I, I really can't argue with that. In fact, I I rather agree with him, and my reasons for agreeing with him will be addressed at the end of this episode, so please stay tuned. But first, I want to address why I would get defensive about it in the past, sometimes quietly, sometimes passionately and overtly, because it hurt, man. It hurt so, so bad. And the only way that I knew how to cope with the pain or the shame that I felt was with anger. The stigma just felt so painful and disgusting, as if someone is burning my skin by the end of a lit up cigarette and I just want to yell at them. And I would feel like asking them, 
aren't you supposed to rather look at the difficult things that I dealt with as a child, as a teen, especially if there is domestic violence involved? Wouldn't you rather be celebrating that my mother broke free of it and left that marriage? Wouldn't you rather empathize at the terrible things that I went through as a child? Do you know how scary it is to watch your dad hit your mom's face with his fist or hit her eye with his phone or drag her down by the stairs by her hair? I was only 12. And all of these aunties and uncles and boys and girls stigmatizing me or people like me or people who have had similar experiences like me because we come from a broken family, were any of you ever there showing up at my door, protecting me and my mother, standing up to my family, standing up to my father and telling him to stop? How come you're not only empathizing how shocking and alone and helpless a child can feel through that, and yet they try to hang on with their every being and learning how to show up in the society with kindness and manners? I could, I was, as far as I can remember, even if I failed, I, I, I found it important to try to show up at the best of my abilities with compassion and manners. I tried my best to not only get good grades, but to be one of the best students in the class. I also had to put myself between my parents to protect my mother. Even if that involved me getting hit and hurt, it didn't matter as long as my mom was okay. And how come these aunties and uncles don't seem to be impressed at how every night my mom and I would go through that to like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. And then I had to show up in school at 7 a.m. and work my butt off to get really good grades. I think I really wanted that validation and I was screaming in silence. Look at me. Look at me. I am so smart. And regardless of what is happening at home, I will always work hard. So as an adult, how can you even question if I would ever want to give up on my future romantic partner? That I would ever want to give up on my man that I'll be so in love with, who will mean the absolute world to me because, because, yes, I, I love my mother and she is my family, but there is still that stain that we are a broken family together. Our unit of three, mama, daddy, and me, had been torn apart. And with my husband, I want to build a sense of family again. And as a South Asian, I can say that South Asian communities and societies often carry a very cultural stigma around divorce, viewing it as a failure of some sort, as if it's like a curse. But I kind of find it funny when someone would stigmatize a girl or a woman with father wounds or daddy issues, even if she becomes a successful woman, but they will totally fangirl David Goggins, who also experienced domestic violence as a child from his dad. And I have so much respect and admiration for David Goggins. Don't get me wrong. But people do forget that there was a period of time when Goggins was also not doing his best. So before we can get to our best selves, there will be an interim of struggles. There must be. That's how our nervous system works. That's biology. 
So yes, people may have fear of judgment or gossip from their communities if they marry someone from a divorced family, or maybe they don't fear judgment. Maybe they just have a risk-averse mindset associating divorced families with a higher likelihood of marital problems. So they may seek to minimize perceived risks by just avoiding partners with divorced parents. And then you will see a lot of these uncles and aunties say things like intact families and divorced families have different family dynamics. And so they worry and have concerns about compatibility and different family values. What they don't admit, though, is that they think, they genuinely think that someone who has lived within an intact family dynamic is better than the one from a divorced family. And I don't think I'll ever understand that because there are so many factors and so many possibilities. I am sure that there are many intact families where the parents have a very unhealthy marriage, a very unhealthy mode of communication or conflict resolution, or maybe passive aggressiveness, and it becomes toxic and confusing for the children as they grow up. And staying in such toxicity can also hinder our growth, our relationship with ourself, our profession, even our health, our spirituality. And if anything, I always believed and still do that someone from a divorced family will probably hold their marriage at a very high regard because they know that it sucks to have it fall apart and they don't want it for themselves or their children. And some individuals may also face pressure from elders in the family or community who express reservations about marrying into a divorced family. I remember 10 years ago, I was talking to this Bengali auntie in the community who would tell me how she apparently understands my struggles because she had a very strained relationship with her father. And apparently he was also very emotionally and financially abusive towards her and our mom. But her parents never divorced. Well, I guess you can imagine my shock when a few months later she was just sharing how she would never let her son marry a woman whose parents are divorced, unless she knew them from beforehand, but she wouldn't even give them a chance to get to know them. Oh my goodness, the shame I felt when she said that and the sadness that I felt. It's like my stomach dropped and the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of being stained or damaged or broken or something is missing or something is wrong with me just overcame me like a flood. It, it, it felt like it, it stripped me and my mother from a sense of having some dignity and respect in the society. And here's the thing. I have seen my mother and the wonderful and educated and the smart woman that she is. She is not very romantic, but she does appreciate romantic songs. She is not very excitement seeking, but she does like nice experiences here and there. My father, uh, I don't think he, I wouldn't say he was romantic at all. He was rather this excited thrill seeker all the time. He was flirty. He was charming, but I wouldn't say that he was romantic. And my mother was this archetype of a girl, like a beautiful girl by a garden, reading a book, enjoying her solitude, listening to classical music, introverted, very content in her own little world. Uh, someone who is very understanding, very compromising, reserved, very self-sacrificing, but very 
very dedicated to supporting you in your dreams. Um, she was not very expressive um, and maybe a tiny bit judgmental. I mean, who is it? I am way more judgmental and uh, opinionated than she is. But she was and is and will always be this sweetheart and just beyond magical and effective with little toddlers. She's amazing with children. But my mom is also sadly someone who experienced having her parents, my grandparents, get separated and go their own separate ways. And she grew up without her, and she grew up without her father. And honestly, it is a stigma of divorce or the stigma that she experienced as someone with an absent father is what kept my mother in her marriage with my father despite him being not a supportive individual, despite him being belittling, controlling, and disrespectful towards my mom. Um, and when I turned 12, he became physically abusive towards her as well. And it confused me because I saw how my mother would go to the ends of the world through such self-sacrifice to not break the marriage. And it was my father who was not only giving her a thousand reasons to leave, but he would be the one to regularly frighten her by threatening divorce. It confused me because my mom was the one who was known as someone from a broken family, and my father had the privilege and the reputation of being someone from an intact family. And it didn't make sense to me at all that people from divorced families are not good in marriage. But I guess women with daddy issues to become experts to not recognize when something is getting unhealthy. And then we just stay longer than we should. Um, maybe it has something to do with trauma bonds, or maybe we're just scared that we will face the same stigma or our children will face the same stigma that we did. And I'm so sure that there is so many people who have had their parents divorce and they have developed this mindset that I have witnessed how painful it is, not just for the couple, but also for the kids because I've gone through it. And I will do my absolute best to not only make sure that we keep this marriage together, but so that we can be happy together. Because the purpose of marriage is not just to be together under the same roof. It is also to try to be happy together. Because if you're not happy in it, it will fall apart. It will fall apart in other ways. It will probably fall apart in covert ways. It doesn't have to be a full-on divorce. There are so many people who are still legally married but are unhappy. And... The marriage doesn't really fall apart when you divorce. It falls apart the moment you start detaching yourself. You, you start getting detached from each other. You start experiencing this long-term disconnect from each other, even if you are in the same bedroom. And you both start to lose interest to repair, to reconcile, to bring back the connection, the intimacy, the trust, the friendship, the vulnerability, the, the honesty, the accountability, which are all bedrocks of any marriage or relationship. And it would hurt me because I would feel like, how do people not see that I can be a loving and dedicated human being and that I truly hold my marriage on a pedestal? 
And sure, these were mostly driven by my wounds and my low self-worth and feeling damaged. And I would get very defensive. Um, I, I had definitely internalized the shame. So I was fighting within me with that shame uh, at the same time as I would fight externally with it as well. See, my first ex-husband was divorced. It was kind of a semi-arranged marriage. I was not in love with him and he was not in love with me. But we both got married looking forward to falling in love with each other. And we both got married within a month of meeting each other. It felt like a practical thing to do for both of us to settle down. We both of we both kind of liked each other. He was married before me to his high school sweetheart and they had gotten married um, and they had divorced. Honestly, the first time he told me that it really broke my heart because I well, I remembered my high school sweetheart and <laughs> and how I was uh, head over heels and I wanted to marry him and all that. But we we broke up in six months. So, you know, long, long gone. But yeah, if anything, I admired my ex-husband's courage to propose and marry his girlfriend. Do you know how much courage it can take in this day and age to to not just make someone your long-term partner, but to actually commit to someone and marry them? It takes a lot. So when I told my friends about, about him, um, that I was considering him, I had a couple friends who did say, hey, why would you marry someone who's divorced? I mean, he's 29, but you're 24 and you're so young, you're single and you were never married before. And boy, oh boy, I think subconsciously I was a little determined to marry my first ex-husband because I wanted to fight that stigma. I wanted to show that it should never matter if someone is divorced or comes from a divorced family. I would be so hurt if someone didn't want to consider me because my parents divorced. Not just because, you know, not just because of the shame, but I would be like, wow, you really lack some serious emotional intelligence and introspection and observation. And you are not able to see how resilient of a person I have become because of my struggles. And I wanted to view my first ex-husband that way, that, you know, it is not going, it's, it is not easy to go through a divorce and then opening up again to someone else. So I, I appreciated that, right? I, I appreciated that. And just because someone didn't have their parents divorced doesn't mean that there aren't people who have adverse childhood experiences, including domestic violence, even if their parents stayed together after and showed up in the world as if they were okay. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. For me and for children of divorced parents, unfortunately, the world starts finding out what's going on behind closed doors, more or less, at least. And sadly, we live in a world where our neighbors are not our safe community anymore, at least in big cities, at least. And now let me talk about why I started agreeing with my girlfriend's husband, okay? So last year, I started taking a step back and started to really dig deep within um, how my childhood experiences had affected me and the way I choose partners uh, and the kind of partners I attract and how 
just just my just how I get into relationships and, you know, and, and then the struggles that I face. So I am 30 and I have been divorced twice and um, it's high time that I had to drop my defenses and, you know, find out what's going on. Um, my mom, my mom warns me how some men may not be interested in me because of the perceptions they may develop because of my parental and past romantic history. Not that I care about that, but I do care about the role that I had played in both my marriages and their endings. I did play a role and I want to know what was my role. I'm starting to know what my roles were and I'm not proud of it. And I am in a journey to heal myself and I will keep, I will keep learning and healing what my role was, what wounds were showing up that was making me sabotage my relationships, what wounds were still unresolved, what wounds are still unresolved that I'm not being able to recognize how am I not being able to recognize healthy and safe partnership? What is safety? What does safety look like for me? To what extent do I abandon my, do I abandon uh, the emotional safety, uh, the psychological safety that we all need to have as a base? What are the traumas that are still unhealed within me that is making me settle for unhealthy patterns because they might be subconsciously very familiar to me from my childhood? And what toxic situations am I staying in more than I should because, again, they're familiar and the automatic drive is usually to fight back or to hold on. So yes, children whose parents divorced or experienced adverse childhood experiences, they they definitely can experience trauma, which still affects them to this day and can also significantly prevent them from being healthy and conscious romantic partners or knowing even what a healthy, conscious romantic partnership or marriage looks like. And it does take a lot of work to heal that, right? I will do an episode on just that, on, on just how trauma can impact our relationships negatively. I'll do that another time. But as an adult, I, I, I believe a lot of self-awareness and a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability and a lot of openness to... External help and resources are required to be able to face our inner darknesses, our wounds, our shadows. And it takes even more courage because we know that doing just that is important for our healing, but it can also bring up a lot of pain to the point that our emotional pain may start to feel like physical pain. And it can definitely cause hyperventilation and anxiety or even depression. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and and she had some some childhood some I don't know how to even say it I, I guess she experienced a lot of childhood sexual trauma and she would say how she finds it very difficult to talk about it with anyone even a therapist because she's just scared she's just scared to talk about it to to bring it forefront to her memory so yeah this this it, it can be a very hard process, right? 
it can be a very difficult process. No wonder many people, you know, would rather avoid it or suppress it or even deny it as they continue through their life. And so this brings me to my next point. What is trauma? Again, I will explore this in more details. I think I just need a full 20 to 30 minutes to talk about what is trauma. But in short right now, one of the reasons why trauma takes place is when something difficult is going on and there is a lack of safety or a lack of return to safety, all kinds of safety, emotional, psychological, physical. And a child looks upon the adults around them for that security and safety. What we often don't talk about or understand is that when a child experiences the divorce of their parents or other adverse childhood experiences, the potential for the traumatic effects can be significantly mitigated or diminished when the community, families, family, friends, neighbors, whatever, when the community shows up in a supportive way in a loving way, and the loving way is always a non-judgmental way. Trauma often arises in situations that is marked by a lack of support, lack of understanding, and lack of safety during difficult times. However, a community that rallies around the child with empathy, with resources, and, and just healing supportive attitude and a non-judgmental attitude, all of these can serve as a crucial protective factor. Supportive community engagement can include access to maybe counseling services or mentorship or just a loving, actively listening presence to help the child navigate these challenges, right? A community can also help foster better communication and destigmatize this whole experience of divorce and create that environment that the child needs to feel heard, to feel validated, to feel their feelings, to express their thoughts, to share their concerns, their confusions, and be supported in that co-regulation. And all of these help a child's emotional and psychological well-being and provides with a network of caring individuals the community starts to bring forth father figures for this child or mother figures for this child. And the community becomes this vital buffer against any potential long-term effects of any adverse childhood experiences, right? It creates a sense of security. It creates that sense of security, which is so, so important There are so many stories of little girls or little boys who were sexually assaulted by someone. And when they brought it up to a parent or two, they ended up, you know, shoving it under the rug and not acknowledging it, let alone doing something to ensure protection or safety. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they didn't know how to handle with the situation, right? But... I I don't want to digress. I I do want to say that instead of stigmatizing and instead of being afraid that a person with divorced parents might be not suitable or compatible because of the effects of their trauma, 
instead of, you know, being in our couches and judging, maybe if our community showed up with more resources and support and sources of safety for both the children and the couple who are going separate ways and supporting them in that journey of separation and divorce and helping them to do it in an amicable, healthy and graceful way. This will really reduce the stressful impact that could have been on the children otherwise. And hopefully as these children grow up, by helping them develop safe and secure attachment and patterns to community members, we would be able to develop healthier adults, hopefully, regardless of their parental or personal marital status. Because having parents who rather amicably and respectfully go separate ways, my heartfelt belief is that their children will experience much less pain and they will also have better co-parenting strategies that will enable the children to still have a good relationship with both their parents, right? And these children might grow up to be healthier individuals than those people whose parents lived in a very unhappy, unhealthy, disconnected, and even abusive marriage. Children can pick up on a lot of things. They can pick up on energy. And many of us, including me, have really forgotten how much we would pick up on as kids. Kids can feel the vibes consciously or subconsciously. They're constantly picking on things. And they may even bring that kind of distant, withdrawing, passive-aggressive behavior, even subconsciously. Uh, when they face difficulties as an adult in their relationships or friendships. What's worse is that as adults, they can even think that nothing is wrong with that because even though their parents were like that, they didn't divorce, right? They quote unquote survived that marriage, right? So when did divorce became a sign of failure? I don't know. Why don't we rather say that a marriage failed when two people stopped caring for each other's well-being or when two people or one of them refuses to understand their partner's perspectives, thoughts, feelings, and what's important to them? That's when a marriage fails. Listen, all I know is, yes, my parents' divorce did affect me. Yes, the divorce and everything did create a lot of wounds, and I am still in the process of healing them. But first, what affected me was their unhealthy marriage. Their unhealthy marriage affected me first, and it affected me more. The divorce was, in fact, a relief. The divorce brought me to safety. The divorce started giving me the space where I could start contemplating on the wounds that I needed to heal and my patterns and my nervous system and my tr trigger responses, right? And the inner child healing that I needed to do, the inner teen healing that I needed to do, the integration I needed to do, the healing of my nervous system that I needed to do. Yes, my parents' marriage and divorce affected me in terrible ways that I'm still healing from. And because of a lot of unresolved childhood experiences, I did show up in ways that I am not proud of in my romantic relationships. Uh, and that did play a role, if not the entire role, but it definitely played some role 
into the ending of my marriages, right? And I wonder that perhaps, just perhaps, if I received the kind of community and societal support without the stigma, and if I had the opportunity to rewire my attachment patterns and have a safe, secure attachment figures, then maybe I would have been a different person today. And maybe if I was a different person today, then I could have avoided a lot of heartbreaks and challenges in my path. But hey, my path has brought me here. And in many ways than not, I am grateful to have come here so far, to be where I am so far. And I can only pray and hope that you, my listener, are proud of me as well. Hey, y'all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Daughter with Daddy Issues podcast. I am so thankful that you were here. We hope our candid conversations have resonated with you or simply provided a moment of connection. If you enjoyed our show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. I welcome and invite you to share your thoughts, feelings, stories. If you're interested in having a conversation or being a guest speaker, please email me at thedaughterwithdaddyissues at gmail.com. Or you can follow and DM me on my Instagram handle at thedaughterwithdaddyissues. Please stay tuned for the next episode. And remember, you are not alone. Because every story deserves to be heard, especially the ones with some sugar, salt, and spice. And I thank you for being part of my story. See you soon.